0: We're going to be studying the Matthew 24 passage that Bill read, and um, so if you want to turn your Bible there, we will follow along. Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us grace as we study his word. Oh, Father, we just sang of the coming of your Son, and we ask that you would please be with us as we continue to follow his teaching while here on earth. His teaching that comes in these later passages of Matthew with an urgency, knowing that he was going to be crucified and he was going to leave, preparing us, preparing his disciples, preparing people for thousands of years of waiting. Lord, please be with us now, we pray. Please help us that even in our day, even in this day, this year, this month, that there will be a faithful people on earth who are looking and waiting with anticipation, who are living lives as if it is all true that your son is coming again because we know that it is. Father, please help us, we pray. Please be our teacher now and please be our instructor through the power of your Holy Spirit. Open your word to us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. The delay of Jesus' coming has been a challenge to Christians all the, all, all, all the time. Even in the first century, the delay in his coming was an issue. And certainly now, after 2,000 years, the delay in Jesus' coming is an issue. Uh, and part of the issue with the delay in his coming is, is what that delay does to us and how sort of ordinariness of life, can do something to us spiritually, and Jesus wants to address that. But before we look at the Matthew 24 passage, if you have your Bible with you and you would like to follow along, please turn with me to Second Peter chapter three, because the delay, the idea of the delay of Jesus was something that uh, Peter addresses in Second Peter chapter three. And he addresses it because of scoffers, people who are going to come and, and scoff uh, about the fact that he is delayed in his coming. And Peter is warning uh, the readers of this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, I'll just jump in the middle of a sentence here. but never the, uh, 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 I'm sorry, verse 3, I'm jumping in the middle of a sentence here. It says this, And knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days... People who are scoffing, ha, ha, yeah, really, right. Walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now notice this, they're appealing to just the ordinariness of life. What what are you you talking about this coming is going to break through? Everything's just like it's always been. Now here the scoffers are saying from the beginning of creation. Peter says to them, "For this they willingly forget by the word of God, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. In other words, they're already forgetting the fact that God came and has already destroyed the earth once with the flood. But then notice what he goes on to say. But the heavens and the earth which are now, preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There's going to be a second judgment coming like the flood was. There's going to be, and we're going to see how Jesus ties these two together as well. But then he goes on to say, but beloved, verse 8, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. Now let's pause here. Let's think about this. One day with God is this a 1,000 years. Well, let me ask you this. If you woke up this morning and God said to you, okay, you're going to be God today. You take over all my responsibilities. I'm taking a God vacation. You're in charge. You're in charge of the world. Then you would say, oh, okay, this is great. This is good. I'm God. Let's get at it. Well, there's 7 billion people that you need to feed today. Where are you gonna get the food? How are you gonna feed them? There's billions of birds you need to feed today. There's butterflies you need to lead their path. There's nations that you need to rise and fall. There are people that are going to die today. There are people are going to cry. Billions of people are going to be ca- talking to you today with requests and with prayers. Millions of people are going to be calling upon you. What are you going to do? In other words, you would quickly say, by the end of the day that you were God that day, you fed all those. Now, of course, you couldn't do that. But you're feeding all those people. You're feeding all those birds. You're feeding all those flowers. You're moving and directing. things. You're moving weather patterns. You're protecting people. Planes are flying. You're protecting them. You're doing all of this. At the end of the day, it seemed like a long day. This seems like a long day. Whoo, this was a long day. With God, one day is as 1,000 years because all that God does in one day. And a 1,000 years is as one day with God because he's God. He stands above time. Time is very different to God than it is to us and, and such. And so for God, it's been two days. Uh, the 2,000 years that we've been waiting has been two days. Now, notice verse 9. For the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. It's not like God just kind of forgot that Jesus was going to come back and he was going to send him back. The Lord didn't forget that. He's not slack, as some count slackness. But his long-suffering is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is delaying the coming because he's saving people, and that's what it's about. But he is coming. He nevertheless is coming. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 24. And what I want, what Jesus is doing and what Jesus, we're going to see Jesus doing in this passage, is he's going to begin to develop what you could call a theology of delay. He's going to, he's going to talk about the delay. And so when people say, you, Jesus said he was coming, but he hasn't come back, he's delayed, say, well, Jesus also said he was going to be delayed. And that that delay was going to have an impact. And then he even told us how to live in the delay. And that's what we're going to look at today is the the dangers, and that's why I've entitled this delay and its dangers. We're going to look at the dangers of delay, and we're going to look at the commands that Jesus says. Jesus is going to give us some imperatives, some commands, some life-saving commands and says, listen, during the delay, do this. During the delay, do this. That's what we're going to look at today as well. So let's look at the passage, uh, Matthew 24, verse 36. Jesus says this, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So if anybody tells you they know the day Jesus is coming back, tell them you're just a liar. You just simply don't know. Or you're deceived. You don't know. In fact, Mark tells us, when Mark uh, quotes Jesus here, Mark says that Jesus said, not yet the angels, not even the Son." So Jesus in his humanity while he was on the earth, he was not privy to that actual information because he was fully human as we were. But God, but my father only. And so uh, Jesus is saying, people people are going to tell you this and that, don't believe it. But then notice verse 37. He says, but as in the days, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the son of man. So now see, he's going back to the flood now. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now notice here what's happening. There is, and, and, and people struggle with this a little bit, probably because they've watched too many Tim LaHaye movies, and so they they think, they, they see you know Left Behind, and they see all this kind of fantastic, much of it unbiblical stuff that goes on in those movies, and they see these Antichrist figures, and they see all this horrible thing going on. and. Those things are, there. There, there, is, there is going to be an antichrist. There is going to be a great tribulation. We've talked about that. We're going to look at that in the book of Revelation. There's going to be distressing times and distressing moments. But notice what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that there's also going to be normalcy. There's also going to be normalcy and that that normalcy can lull people to sleep. There's a sense of that. That normalcy can lull people to sleep. For instance, Concerning Noah's flood and the reason why God brought this flood, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, it says this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This was a time of great intense wickedness in Noah's time. Terrible wickedness in which God judged and wiped out the vast majority of mankind. And yet, nevertheless, even during those times of great wickedness, there was also a sense of normalcy as well. People were eating. They had to get food on the table. They were drinking. They had, to, they, 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 they had to make their beds. They had to brush their teeth. They had to take out the garbage. They had to do those things. And then they even had special events. Look, at they were marrying and they were giving in marriage. And so normal life was going on. Normal life was going on. These people were just doing normal things, even though it was wicked, even though it was a wicked time and God's judgment was looming. Normal time was going on. And notice what he says, until that day, that Noah entered the ark. And so you get this this dramatic picture of weddings going on and wedding invitations going out and engagements taking place and people eating and feasting and and living normal lives and, and doing all of their stuff. And at the same time, this strange family walks into this ark and the door goes, boom. And he says they were completely unprepared until the flood came. All of a sudden, the sky breaks forth. Water comes up to their knees. All of a sudden, their houses are being washed away. Their children are being washed away. And, and Jesus says, this is the way it's going to be with this, when the Son of Man comes. Look at the next illustration. In this book, this, chat, this uh, section is a series of little illustrations. Look at the first 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two men are working in a field. They went to work that day. On the day that Jesus returns, people are going to go to work, okay? Two women will be grinding in the mill, and one will be taken, and the other will be left. They went to work. They were sitting there. They were talking, and one was taken. What does it mean, taken? Well, that's referring to verse 31, where he sends his angels out at, the great, at his great coming and a trumpet, and he gathers together his elect, and we're going to talk about this, where they meet him in the air to be a part of his return. But Jesus says this, that the ordinariness of life, the ordinariness of life is going to lull some people to sleep. And so notice what he says in verse 42, watch, therefore, watch, therefore. I like this word. It's the Greek word, Gregoreo, where we get our name Gregory, actually. But it it, it means to be intent, very attentive, to be alert, to be awake. To be constantly aware of his coming, that the world is going to end, that there is going to be an accountability. That is to be our mindset that we are constantly aware of. Don't become complacent, he's saying. Now, Gary's not here today, Gary Wisniewski, and please pray for Gary because he's been struggling with his health and oddly, and, and we were actually working together yesterday and oddly, Gary was telling me that he feels like Satan is really attacking him because he said he hasn't been able to come to church for like three weeks. He, he's healthy all week long, and then he's sick. And I think there is something to that, and we need to pray for him. But I was going to use him. I'm going to use him in this illustration. Uh, earlier this summer, Gary and I were walking through a field of high grass. We had walked through the woods. Now we got to a field of high grass, and we were going to fish that stream over there, and we had to go through this field of high grass, and uh, which wouldn't be a problem. There were logs down, and it was... There were holes and, and, and we were struggling to get over there, but that wouldn't be a problem either, although we're both old, that would be a problem, it is a problem, but anyway, it, the fact is that we were in very deeply infested rattlesnake country, that was the problem, okay, and in fact a guy caught a big rattlesnake right, right by that river that we were at when we were leaving, we saw him, uh, Frank and Kirk were there too. And uh, but so Gary and I, as we're and we've been in rattlesnake country before uh, going fishing. We're we're taking our fly rods and we're whacking the weeds all the way around as we're as we're as we're going. The guy in front is whacking the weeds, and then the coward is in the back following that guy. And Gary and I switch being brave and being the coward. We're both cowards, but we we have to force one of us to be switched. But anyway, that's Gregoreto. That's being aware and alert. We were aware and alert. Now, imagine two guys are fly fishing, and they're walking through a field like that, and they're walking through the field with their fly rods like they normally would do when they're not in rattlesnake country, and somebody yells at says, hey, wait a minute, there's rattlesnakes everywhere in here, be careful. Now, those men are immediately going to change their, their mode. They're immediately going to say, whoa, wait a minute, whoa. Every log becomes dangerous. Instead of stepping over it, you step on it. You're taking your fly rod and you're beating the ground now and you're going very carefully through. And there's this added sense of alertness that there's rattlesnakes there. That's what Jesus is talking about now. He's saying, watch, be watchful. Make this part of your mindset. I'm coming back. There will be accountability. You're going to stand before me. I am coming. Be aware, be aware, be alert of this. Live your life in such a way. Live your life in such a way that I'm coming back. That's what he's saying here with this watch. Now notice verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now you notice here, if you know when the thief's coming, if word comes, hey, guys are coming tonight at your house. They're going to be here at 2 o'clock. They're gathering together at 2 o'clock and they're going to break into your house. The master of that house will be ready. Okay, thank you for that information. That's very helpful. He would have his guns ready. He would have his dogs ready. He would have his alarms ready. He would have his lights on. He would have his helpers there. He would be ready for them to come if he knew, but we don't know. And so what Jesus is saying is there needs to be a general alertness. And so look at what Jesus says in verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready. That's another imperative. Now, we've had two imperatives so far. Watch and be ready. The word there means be prepared. Make preparation, but for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. On the most ordinary day of your life, in one sense, on the most ho-hum day where you're just going about doing what you normally do, he's coming back, and so be ready. Be ready every day. Be alert every day. Act every day as if it's going to happen. That's what Jesus is teaching. Now at verse, and then, now he talks about this idea, and here he begins more specifically to introduce the idea of delay. Verse 45, who then is a faithful and wise servant? So this servant, because we also have some servants here. We've got uh, some, ser- some men here and then some women in chapter 25, the, these virgins with these, with these things. So we have wise, we have foolish, we have wise, we have evil. And so notice that contrast that's going to go on here now. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give him them food in due season? This is a servant he has been set in charge of all the other servants. I'm going away. You take care of this place for me. You take care of my servants, you give them their jobs, you feed them, you watch over them. I want my household well managed while I'm away. Now this is a faithful and wise servant, okay? It says this, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So while the master is away, when the master finally returns, he finds this guy wisely and carefully taking care of the household. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. So here we have this wise servant. And let me just give a a word out right now. Just a word out, first of all. To all of my dear fellow elders, there's something here for us, isn't there? We are to be wise and faithful servants while Christ has not returned yet, giving out, feeding God's people. And I just want to urge us all to do that. Let me say also, looking at this wise and faithful servant, let me give a shout out, as it were, to everybody who's teaching Bible studies. Everybody's a Sunday school teacher here. Everybody who is doing youth work here, all of you who are ministering to others, be wise and faithful. In this day and age, where everybody's getting lulled to sleep, you be a good. May he find you being a wise and faithful servant. Let me give a shout out here to all the dads, all the husbands, your heads of a household. Be wise and faithful servants. Be, be wise and faithful, knowing Christ is coming and, and, and ordering your, your lifestyle and your family like that. Let me give be a shout out to all parents here. Moms and dads, you're wise, be wise and faithful stewards of the responsibility that Christ has given you during this time while we're waiting for him. Look at the contrast, verse 48. But if that evil servant, Now, instead of wise and faithful we have an evil servant, says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. Now, there's the the very specific Jesus preparation for the delaying. My master is delaying his coming. This is the theology of delay. And begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. So notice here how the delay and the ordinariness of just another delay has lulled this man to sleep. He's not looking, he's not expecting, and at an hour when he is not aware of, and then Jesus used some very, very dramatic, harsh language. Verse 51, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrite. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is giving us a severe warning here. This man will be killed and cast into hell. We're going to see that for these foolish virgins, the door will be shut and it won't be open. And Jesus is really, he's really helping us to understand the intensity of how important it is to remember his coming. Be prepared. Now, that then he carries over into this parable that he tells in chapter 25. A very familiar parable, I'm sure, to many of you. It has to do with these ten virgins. Look at verse 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, I know I'm going to repeat this. It's going to be repetition for those of you who were here last Sunday night. But I still want to say it again, and the repetition will do you good as well. The word meet there is a very special word in the Greek language. It's not the normal word to meet people. It's the word apontesis, apontesis. And apontesis is what's called a technical term. It's a word that had very important meaning for the people in that day and age. And as soon as they heard it, they understood what that meant. I use the illustration of the word engagement. When we say that uh, John got engaged to Susie last week, we know that's an apatancy. That's like apatancy. So that's a technical term for us. Now, somebody who didn't understand the English language or just learning the English language, they said, "What do you mean? the gut engaged. What do you mean? You know, did, uh, engines, uh, gears engage, or uh, you know, uh, you can engage a truck. What does that mean?" And you say, oh, no, no, that's a word that we use when it means that he proposed to her and they are now, and she accepted, and they are now being married. We call that engagement. That's a technical term. Apatansis was a technical term. In fact, it's only used four times in the entire New Testament, okay? Uh, it's used twice here in this passage. And it's used, uh, it's, and what the word means is this. It means to officially go out and greet some important person and escort them into the town or into the city or something like that, okay? And that's what these virgins' job was to do. They were, br- they were, they were uh, bridesmaids, and their job was to go out and wait for the bridegroom. And when the bridegroom came, they were then to escort him, uh, light his way, as it were, be a part of the celebration coming in. Now, we, this word is used in the book of Acts of the Apostle Paul when he appeared to Rome and the, and the believers went out and, 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 re, and recognized him and escorted him in. I was actually reminded by one of uh, somebody Sunday night that this word is also tied into the concept of Jesus' uh, 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 triumphal entry and where the people went out and, and put the palm branches down and everything like that. Now, the word, and I think it's very important that it's being used here, is finally used in its most important usage in 1 Thessalonians, where Jesus, Paul says that we will meet the Lord in the air. and That word is apatansis. We will be part of His royal entourage to meet him and then escort him and be with him as he comes in. Now, interestingly, we still do this in weddings today, in one sense, don't we? Uh, the wedding takes place, the bridal party's there. Everybody says, the bridal party, and everybody, the bride and groom say, okay, everybody, go eat your cookies and stuff. We're going to take pictures. And then everybody sits down, and then the DJ comes in, and, he's, and then what does he do? He introduces the bridal party, and they have escorted, and finally he introduces the bride and groom. So that's the dynamic of what's supposed to be going on here. These women had an important role. Go out and meet him when he comes in, okay? Verse 2, now five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Now, these women are not wicked at this point. They're just dopey. They're just fools. They're just not planning ahead. They're just knuckleheads. That's and, and I'm saying all that for a reason. Earlier, the man was an evil master. He was an evil servant. And he partied and everything like this. These are just downright negligent. They're just, they're just they're just not thinking they're just being dopey and and i think there's a, jesus is getting at that he's he's presenting them as just foolish they should have taken oil with them. They, were, they may have waited all night long. You need to realize this wasn't one time when people even had electric, they didn't even have flashlights, let alone pocket watches or watches. They, had, they, they didn't know what time it was. They didn't, their traveling time was very different. That groom could arrive at any time and he was to be escorted in to the reception and to the wedding. They had an important role and they didn't even take it seriously. Verse four, but the five took oil in their vessels With their lamps, they took a lamp and a canteen with oil in it, okay? Verse 5. But while the bridegroom was delayed, here Jesus is once again teaching his disciples, delay, be prepared for delay, they all slumbered and slept. What's that mean? Isn't slumbered and slept the same thing? Well, no. Actually, the one word means their eyes was getting heavy and they kept nodding off. And then finally, all 10 of them are snoring. Okay. And then it says this. At midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to apatensisim. Go out to meet him. Now is your official duty. The wedding has started. Light your lamps and start the singing and start the celebration and escort him in to see your best friend, the bride. And those, all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the word actually is cosmeo. They put them in order. They were trimming them. They were filling them. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil and our lamps are going out. But the wise said, uh, answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us. And all of a sudden the entire bridal party is in darkness walking, trying to stumble their way to try to find the, the venue. No. No, you go by And you get yourself some. Then look at verse 10. It's so tragic. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. And you have a sense that door being shut. Bam. Inside, it's laughter and joy and food and celebration. And a covenant of marriage being being, uh, done before God and witnesses. And it says, afterward, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Very echoing of Matthew 7. Watch, therefore. Here's the command. Watch. Gregorio, keep your eyes open. Be alert. Be attentive. Therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So that's the teaching. It's very, very clear, very clear teaching. So let's apply it to ourselves. Number one, are you prepared? Are your neighbors prepared? Are your friends prepared? Are the people you work with prepared? Let's say that Jesus Christ comes back this week. He literally comes back. Praise God, I can't wait. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Are you prepared? Is your life and your heart and your attitude, is who we are gearing toward that and ready for that? And like, yeah, bring it on. I'm so excited. Are you prepared to be judged? Are you prepared to stand before God and give an account? Are you prepared for the whole unfolding of the whole thing? Maybe you are, but think of your friends. Think of your neighbors. Think of the people that you work with. Think of the people you interact with. What an incredible shock this will be to them. What an absolutely incredible shock that it will be. So how, my question, this is what I want to deal with in application, how do we stay alert? How do we not be lulled to sleep? How do we be prepared? Not only has there been 2,000 years of delay, not only that, but there has also been we live in a secular age where nobody talks about this stuff anymore. Nobody even cares about it anymore. Nobody even thinks about it. It's how unprepared this culture is. How can we not run out of fuel like these virgins did? How can we do not do that? Well, let me begin by saying this. I see many people, I have seen many people, sadly, in my life run out of fuel. I've seen them run out of fuel. Already in their life, they've run out of fuel. And I'm asking, how did that happen? Well, let me give you some examples, not of individuals, but of, of examples of what I've seen happen in this over, over uh, 45 years of ministry, as it were. Some people just lose the feeling. They just lose the feeling. There was one time when they were, they were excited about being a Christian. They, 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 they were excited about you know, the Lord. They were excited about their Bible. And then they just kind of lost the feeling. And in our generation, in our culture, where feelings are our masters, where we do things based on feelings, where if we feel something, then we need to do it, and if we feel something, we can't deny that feeling, we have to follow it. See, we are pathetic slaves to our feelings in this culture, and we don't understand what that's like. We don't understand. It's one of the reasons why I read a lot of history because it's, I like to jump back into another culture where people were very, very different. They weren't as as motivated by their feelings, where feelings were everything. We were told in my generation, if it feels good, do it. Your feelings are everything. Your feelings are what you are. And if you if you feel this or you feel that, it doesn't. Now we're now we're actually saying, I feel this, and I'm going to have surgically transform my body to, to match my feelings. And that no, no, the Bi- and and then then the Bible comes along and says, Do not fear. Do not be afraid, you know. Stir up your we. We're not used to taking ourselves in our hands, and so what happens is, and you're 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 pastoring people, you're shepherding people, and some of them they're most exuberant. They love. Oh, I just love the Lord. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus, and all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. Why? You go to them. You say, well, "What's going on?" I just don't feel it anymore. I just don't feel it. Some people get bored. They kind of have a Christian phase and then it goes, they move on to something else. They took a little interest in the Bible, a little interest in these things, and then they just kind of get bored and they move on. Some people sadly get distracted and their heart gets drawn away by the cares or worries or busyness of this world. And they just get distracted, or the pleasures of this world. And Jesus warns us about this quite a bit. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus said this. Remember the sowing, he's sowing the seed. And these are the seeds that fell among the thorns. It says, now these seeds, these are the ones that were sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. Now notice this next verse, uh, the next phrase. And the cares of this world. Now I'll go on, but keep this, this screen up. The deceitfulness of, the riches, of riches, the desires of other things entering and choke the world and it becomes unfruitful. These are some, uh, some virgins who ran out of oil. But notice that phrase, the cares of this world. Now, this world has cares. We have to give ourselves to it. We need air in our tires, we need to paint our house, we need to pay our bills. we, need, we have cares. There's no question about it how are you going to put food on the table? How are you going to yes, we have cares. but notice what Jesus is saying that the cares of the world have so taken over this person's sort of mindset and personality and, and, and motivation and everything that they've become unfruitful. The next one is this, Luke 21, 34. And we've looked at this one last week, but it says this. But take heed to yourselves, Jesus said, lest your hearts be weighed down. Now with carousing and drunkenness, and that's that we know that that going on. But notice this: the cares of this life and that day come on you unexpectedly. These people aren't carousing. These people aren't drunk. These people are, 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 are worrying about paying bills. They're worrying about the transmission in their car. They're worrying about, uh, uh, you know, their, their gutters to getting clean. They're worried about these things. They're worried about the cares of this world. They're worried and worried and worried and worried and worried. So they're so obsessed with this world and what needs to take place. And they're so busy and they're so distracted by it that they're completely unprepared. And it's drawn their heart away. And so you see, dear friends... It is very important for us to realize that we need to work hard at this thing of being watchful and being prepared. Think of this. Over time, over a delay of 2,000 years, it is easy to lose your first love for Christ, to lose your fervent, to lose your zealousness, to lose your passion. And I know that this is real. We will, over over your lifetime as a Christian, you will face many temptations. You will face many distractions. You will face many cares. You will face satanic opposition. You will face uh, 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 Satan coming at you. Peter says, watch for the adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. That's Rowe. Be attentive. He's a rattlesnake. Watch for him. Keep for him. We have to be watching for him. He's going to try to oppose you and lull you to sleep. There's going to be the constant seduction of the world saying, buy me, experience me, enjoy me, be a part of me. Hey, come party with us. Then there's going to be trials in your life. There's going to be disappointments in your life. There's going to be loss in your life. There's going to be deaths in your life. There's going to be discouragements in your life. And that can drain all of us from a watching and, and waiting and being prepared. And then you're each with each passing day, you're aging. And it may be that in God's providence, you're going to wake up one day and realize you're old. And you're going to have pains every day. It's going to be painful and hard just to get out of a chair. And that can be discouraging. Then there's going to be surgery and there's going to be diseases and there's going to be memory loss and there's going to be hearing loss and there's going to be energy loss. And it's going to be very easy to to stop losing your anticipation that he's coming and be lulled into sleep. And so what I would like to give you in closing, don't think I'm closing real soon, but in closing, is six things. I'm going to try to give them boom, 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 boom. So get them down if you want. Six things of how not to run out of fuel. How not to run out of fuel, okay? And the first one is this. And and, and each of these are important, although I am going from most important down. Each of these are important. How not to run out of fuel. How to be. And and what I'm asking you right now is become a wise virgin, not a foolish virgin. Become a wise person who not only has a, a, a lamp that's burning, But you got a a, a five-gallon jug of oil with you, too. Not these foolish ones who went traipsing out there with their little lamp. We're in a wedding. We're in a wedding. And and these other ones, yeah, we're in a wedding, too, uh, dragging this five-gallon drum of of, of oil. I want you to be that person who's prepared, who's excited that you're in a wedding and also prepared. Number one, and I'm going to repeat this because I've worded this a certain way. Number one, how not to run out of fuel, number one. Have a constant, fresh, and deepening appreciation and apprehension of what God has done for you in Christ. Now, let me say that again. Number one, have a constant, fresh, each word is important here, a constant, fresh, and deepening appreciation A constant, fresh, and deepening appreciation and a constant, fresh, and deepening apprehension of what God has done for you in Christ. It's got to be new. It's got to be fresh. It's got to be real. Let me use an illustration here, and I'm going to make this one a little bit personal. Um, And I'm going to embarrass somebody here, but it's all going to be good how does a marriage last for such a long period of time and be good and happy and joyful and such? It, it happens when there is a deepening and constant appreciation and apprehension of, of fresh examples of who's, how special this person is and how loving, and how lovable they actually are. And I can say this about Jan. I would say this over, uh, how, do, how does 43 years of marriage still find us so deeply in love? And it has, and for, for me, I can tell you this, for me, it's because I get all these fresh examples in her life still of her love and her self-sacrifice, and not just for me, but, but, but for others, how others-oriented she is, how filled with love and joy she is, and, and, and I'm, I'm freshly reminded, and I appreciate her, and I keep loving her more and more and more, and that's what we need to have with our relationship with God. We need to have a daily, lifelong, vigorous pursuit of God. Seek God so that in that you will have fresh appreciation of what God has done. It'll get deeper and richer appreciation and, and and apprehension. You'll actually be growing in this. How gracious God is. How kind he is. How loving he is how compassionate he is, how merciful he is, how how good he is to you, How, how good he is to others, how faithful God is. We need to be constantly amazed at God's grace and at God's goodness and at God's glory and who God is. There has to be this constant fresh application and appreciation of these things to the point that you become zealous that others would know this God. And you know what's interesting? Remember that list of difficulties and challenges we face? Of of, of temptations from the world, of satanic oppression, of constant seduction from the world, of of trials and disappointments and then pain and sickness and old age? Dear friends, rather than those being challenges that drain us from God, living through those challenges and freshly apprehending and, and, and understanding God's grace in the midst of them, God's power helping you overcome satanic attack. God's power helping you to overcome temptation. God's power helping you to overcome the seductions of the world. Trials that you go through and God sees you through. Disappointments that you go through and God lifts you up. Depressions that you go through and God brings you out of them. Discouragements that go through. And, then, and, then, and we have so many examples here of elderly people who are struggling and in pain yet still rejoicing and giving thanks. It gives you a greater and greater appreciation. It throws you more and more upon God and you appreciate his grace. He's there for you. He loves you. And you're constantly growing in your love for him. Number one, a constant and fresh and deepening appreciation and apprehension of who God is. Number two, the importance of biblical preaching in your life. And I say this for a reason. In Matthew chapter 10, verse four, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, it says this, how then shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him and who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Preaching and hearing and believing are all tied together. Then Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Dear friends, I'm just telling you what I've seen in the past. But people who sit themselves under solid, deep, biblical preaching week after week year after year of preaching where they are experiencing God, where the Bible is being opened up, where they are being fed intellectually and spiritually and emotionally and in every way. God's word is coming in power. I remember when I first experienced this in my life. I was living in Philadelphia, and I was sitting under biblical preaching for the first time, and my life was being transformed. Dear friends, sitting under biblical preaching is a very important means that God has given us. Faith comes by hearing, and your faith will grow and grow and grow, and you'll have fresh application and fresh appreciation, and it will be constantly coming at you as you come under biblical preaching and are being taught. Superficial preaching will not do this to you. Superficial preaching actually can sometimes be worse than no preaching. I have seen people, I've seen people leave good, solid biblical churches, then move, and then, oh, well, ho-hum, we'll go to this church. Yeah, the preaching is kind of superficial. And I have watched them over the years spiritually decline and decline and decline until they could care less. Dear friends, don't let that happen to you. Nevertheless, I'll say give another caution. One can come under biblical preaching, good biblical preaching, and still dry out. I heard a great illustration actually this morning. I was listening to some preaching because I, I need good preaching. I was listening to good preaching. I love this illustration. The guy says, yeah. He said, when I, when I was a kid, I used to work for a, a store, and they had wine tastings. And they bring all these experts in. And these experts, they would all do the same thing. They would look at the wine. They would pour it. They would smell it. They would drink it. And they said, then you know what they did? They would spit it out. So it didn't have an effect on them, so they could keep going. And he, this preacher was saying, don't be that person. Don't drink in the word of God here and walk out that door and spit it out. And that would be the third thing that I would say. A third level of importance for you to stay alert and alive is to not only hear the word of God, but believe it and do it. And what, I, what I mean by this is this apprehend God, get alone with God, have your own personal walk with God. Talk with God, relate to God, experience God. In marriage, uh, in marriage classes that we do here and everything, we're always telling married couples, get alone sometimes. Get alone. Get away from the kids. Get away from work. Get alone. Reconnect with who you are. Be, be Reconnect. Refresh. Re, rejuvenize rejuvenize that, that, uh, that relationship. And what I'm saying to you now is get alone with God. Experience God. Don't just be a church goer. only. You go to a good church. You go to a church where you're getting solid biblical teaching. I get all that. That's good. That's good. Keep doing that. But go from here and get a, have a real relationship with God. Get alone with God. Let me put it to you this way. When you're having your devotions, when you're having your devotions, recognize there's another person in the room than you. Get alone with God. Close the door. Get alone with God, but recognize you're not alone. There's another person in that room with you, and that's God. And relate to him and get to know him. Fourthly, grow in knowledge. Grow in knowledge. You know, it's interesting the Bible is constantly saying, renewing the mind, renewing the mind, renewing the mind. It's constant in Scripture, renewing the mind. This doesn't mean become an intellectual, geeky weirdo. It means grow in a grasp and apprehension of who God is. In Colossians 3.10, for instance, there's an example. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And let me be very specific here. Read your Bible, but don't read your Bible in such a way to get through the chapter of the day. I read a chapter a day, I get through the chapter of the day, I shut my Bible, and I go through my life. Don't do that only. That's like drinking the wine and spitting it out. No, think about what you're reading. Roll it over in your mind. Chew on it. Apply it to yourself. If you can't do that for a whole chapter, read half a chapter. If you can't do that for half a chapter in the time that you have allotted, then read up verse. But chew on it. Roll it over in your mind. Apply it to yourself. Preach to yourself. Not only taking prayer real because God's in the room with you, but take this Bible real and listen and eat it and find out what is being said. Fifthly, surround yourself with people who are passionate for the Lord. This is fellowship. Surround yourself by people who are passionate for the Lord, people who are the real deal, people who are fervent, people who are long-haul people. If you know people who have kept their fervency for a long period of time, get near them. Get near them. Elbow your way through the crowd. Get near them. Get to know them. There's lots of them in this room, by the way. There's lots of them in this church. And here I'm talking about fellowship. Fellowship with other Christians, Spend time with other Christians, people who talk about God, people who you hear them talking about Christ, people who you can talk about Christ with, and people. And not only don't only listen to what they say to you, but sit there and listen to what they say to other people, how they're engaging other people. Get, catch fire from them. and this is the importance of fellowship. To be honest with you, dear friends, when you come to church in this church on Sunday morning, you come to Sunday school, you come to Sunday evening, you go to Bible study somewhere, whatever you do, that we try to guarantee in this church that you are going to be fed. You're going to be fed. We, we try to get the best teachers. We try to make sure they're, they're equipped. We want you to be fed. But I'm going to tell you something, and that's absolutely essential. That was, that was my, that was my uh, fourth point, growing knowledge. But something that is equally as vital is that fellowship. And oftentimes, and I've said this to my fellow elders in terms of shepherding, sometimes the time before Bible study and after Bible study, the time before church and after church is just as vital because that's the the chance you get to rub shoulders and to be with other people who are passionate about the Lord. Sixth and finally, if you find yourself feeling dry, If you find yourself feeling spiritually down, don't nod off to sleep like the foolish virgins did. If you find yourself... I know the other ones fell asleep, but they had the oil, man. They could sleep. They got the oil. You don't got the oil. And you're feeling spiritually down and you're feeling dry. What do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You act, you act, you act. You sound an alarm. You get up and fight. You don't accept this as the new norm. You don't allow yourself to be ruled by your feelings. Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift that is within you. Fan it back into flame. Bring it back into flame. And you must say this to yourself. Stir it back up. Sound an alarm. Fight, 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 fight. Don't accept this. In Revelation chapter two, Jesus says this very thing to the Ephesian church. He says in verse four, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Now, what does he tell them? Look at the next verse. Do we have verse five coming up? We don't have verse five coming up. Okay. Listen very carefully. Jesus then says this, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Look back at better days when you were alive. Remember where you have fallen from. Remember what it was like when you loved the Lord, and you were passionate with him, and you were, you were all in, and, and he was everything, and you couldn't wait to get to that Bible. Remember. Couldn't wait to get to worship. Couldn't wait to get to with your, your fellow Christians. Remember where you have fallen. Then he says this. Repent. Turn around. And do the first works. Get back to what you were doing before and get back doing them. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand unless you repent. You see, dear friends, when you get spiritually down, when you get spiritually down, you're running out of oil. You know what you want to do? Nothing. You stop going to church. I don't feel like going to church. You stop reading your Bible and having to, I don't feel like it. You stop avoiding Christians. No, they just make me feel how, how guilty I am. I'm not going to do anything. That's the worst thing that you could possibly do. Don't stop going to church. Tell yourself, get up, you're going to church. Act. Be alert. Be awake. Be concerned. Be scared that this does not become the norm. And don't rest until you're inflamed again with love for Christ. Turn to him and say, Lord, help me. Help me. I'm I'm losing it. I'm I'm, I'm not growing as I ought. I've lost my passion. I've lost my first love. Help me. Help me to come back. He'll answer the prayer. He'll help you. He'll bring you back. Dear ones, please, Jesus Christ is coming again. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead and He said, I'm coming again. He ascended into heaven. He is there enthroned right now. And there is a clock ticking. And when that time is up and the Father says, Now, an entire vast army of angels and all of our loved ones who have gone before him will all be lined up into this large, wazing, glorious, holy army. And they will follow him and trumpets will sound. And archangels will call this sad world to attention. And Jesus Christ will come again. And he will send his angels out to gather his elect. And you will be joined. And and our loved ones, their bodies will be reconnected. And all of a sudden, this army will be glorified, armed. uh, uh, People who all look like their elder brother, Jesus. And they will descend to earth. And the kingdom will come. Dear friends. Will Where will you be on that day? Will you be the one taken or the one left? Will you be the one distracted? The one who lost all the oil? The one who hadn't thought about this stuff for years? The one who was so consumed and busy buying and selling? Or are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready? Oh, dear ones, it's your soul. I'm trying to be a faithful servant here. I'm trying to be a wise and faithful servant here. I'm trying to get you ready. I don't want anybody to perish here. But when that day comes, the door shuts. The day of salvation is over. Dear ones, now is the day. Look at your own heart. I don't care if you've been a Christian. I've been a Christian for 40 years. Okay, but do you still have your first love? Are you still passionate? Are you still alive? Come to the Lord. Come back and ask him to give that to you. Let's pray together. Oh, dear Lord, you're warning us in your word. You're giving us your word. You've said these things for a reason. They're in the pages of our Bibles because you want your people ready when you come. Oh, Father, I've tried to just give some small amount of the passion that our Lord Jesus had when he said these things. Please help us, we pray. The world is constantly trying to lull us to sleep. The cares are constantly trying to take us away. All of the busyness is constantly keeping our Bibles laying there on the dining room table and just collecting dust. All of this distractedness is keeping us from shutting a door and being alone with you. Please help us. Please help us. Help us to be the wise. Help us to be the faithful ones. Give us grace, we pray. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your precious name, trusting in you to renew and restore us. In your name we pray.